Hello and welcome to Forgotten Sitcoms. Today we will be dipping into the world of office politics with the squirrels. Now, The Squirrels ran for three series from 1975 to 77 and is really only remembered today for one reason, that being that it was created by one of the great British sitcom writers, Eric Chappell. Now, if you listen to the British Sitcom History Podcast, which you can find on this channel, you will have heard me and my colleague Gareth talk about this when we looked into Rising Damp, which is obviously one of Chappell's most successful shows. Indeed, that's why we're here today, as I wanted to take a look at what else Eric Chappell was creating at that early stage in his career. And this really was early. The pilot for The Squirrels actually predates the Rising Damp pilot by a few months. Rising Damp was rushed into series pretty quickly, but The Squirrels was held until the following year, which allowed Chapel to work on both shows at the same time. So, what is The Squirrels? The show revolves around the drab office workplace of a TV rental company. Although, in classic sitcom tradition, the work they do is largely ignored by the people actually working there. And our main protagonist here is Rex Mason, a supposed everyman, played by Ken Jones. Now, as we have already seen on our Forgotten Sitcom series... Jones was in high demand at this time. He took the lead role in The Whackers, also in 1975, and he was at the same time appearing as a regular in Porridge as Horrible Ives. And, okay, maybe this is problem number one for the squirrels. Ken Jones, he really is a charmless nerk. And if you want him to play that in Porridge, that's great. But here, he simply can't bring the likability or indeed any real spark to a role that requires quite a lot of heavy lifting. Jones has always seemed like a solid actor, although I have to say he's been pretty much exactly the same in everything I've ever seen him in, so perhaps not the most malleable in a role. And he just doesn't have that leading man charm. The plots play out like a series of sitcom stereotypes, as Rex clumsily navigates the office politics of an ineffectual boss and work-shy or just straight stupid colleagues. His home life comes into play as well, with Patsy Rowlands as his frustrated wife and a couple of mentioned but never seen children. We've also seen Rollins before in this Forgotten Sitcom series, in which I pointed her out as the highlight of Ray Galton's Get Well Soon. But here, the character never really gets a chance to do much more than moan at Rex that something or other isn't working, or, you know, there isn't enough money, etc, etc. Oh, never mind about that, Rex. Just think of it. This time next week we'll be out of it. Two glorious weeks in sunny Majorca. No, you still want to go then, dear? Of course I want to go. I've got all my holiday gear. What do you think? Put your clothes on one of the children might come down. Do you like it? You're not thinking of being seen in public with that on, are you? I'm certainly not thinking of being seen without it. For the most part, the episodes find Rex either worrying about keeping his job due to his general lackadaisical attitude, or plotting to overthrow his boss and get promoted on the principle that, in middle management, one always fails upwards. At the office, Rex's colleagues are Harry and Burke. Harry, the character, is sort of a Tim from the office type. He knows he's too good for this place, but he doesn't have the drive to actually get out. Alan David is really the only regular actor in the series that has any charm or personality and is by far the most likeable element of the show. Even when he's deliberately made out to be the bad guy, he does it with a little wink and a smile and you can't help but like him. Well, how about that one at the bar? Where? There. Oh, no, no, she looks too haughty to me. Oh, don't you believe it. She's got her engine running, that one. (laughs) She's too genteel. She's ladylike. She might be the manageress. Eh, I think she's clocked us. 
I'm going to give her the big wink. No, no. Oh, look at the way she's caressing the stem of her glass. Oh, I'm glad I put a clean vest on. David is probably better known as a stage actor, but he had a healthy TV career and appeared in many sitcoms, including as a regular later on in The Green Green Grass. Burke is the office junior, played by Ellis Jones. Really a weak character in every sense. Burke is a simple-minded mummy's boy who will obviously never amount to anything. And really that's about all we get out of him. It's a stupid character that rarely adds anything to the plot or indeed the comedy. I hope you realise what engagement is all about. I mean, you can't go rushing into a thing like that, you know. I mean, it's marriage. For instance, where are you going to live? With my mother. (laughs) You can't take a girl like that to live with your mother. I mean, a girl with legs that long is going to bump her head against all those model aeroplanes hanging from the ceiling. You shall sell aeroplanes, Rex. I'm a Meccano and my Sexton Blake Library. Fletcher, or JF as he's known to his staff, is the boss of this little office and he is played by Bernard Hepton. Another basic archetype, in this case a leering, frustrated, middle-aged little Englander with a weary resentment for his wife and one eye on his secretary's assets. A man who knows full well he's out of his depth, but he'll fight to the death to keep his place in society. Well, gentlemen, oh, it's now 80 in the shade. I think we can remove our ties. Oh, oh yeah. good idea, Jay. <laughs> Don't get carried away, Harry. But it is hot, Jay. Well, I know it's hot, but that's no excuse to go native. We've got to keep our standards. Now, Hepton was always a solid, if not especially outstanding, stalwart of stage and small screen throughout his career. He's one of the more reliable performers here, and he, he goes gamely into everything he does at the very least. The only other character who appears throughout the show is Carol, the secretary played by Karen McCarthy. And here's a real sign of the show's age. I, I don't know what things were really like in a male-dominated office in the 70s, but there is not a minute that Carol is on screen before someone has got their hands on her. It is not something that has really stood the test of time very well. As for guest actors, it's usually only ever one episode at a time, and frankly, with only one or two exceptions, they're pretty poor, and (laughs) that feels like it's down to the director, or just kind of a lacking a a firm hand on the rudder, maybe the producer, whoever's doing the casting. It feels like no one's really holding this together. So as I said, The Squirrels was originally written by Eric Chappell alone, but his responsibility towards the more successful Rising Damp meant he had to step back in the second and third series, and a selection of other writers were brought in to do individual episodes. Perhaps this is the reason why the word that really springs to mind when considering the show as a whole is inconsistent. It feels like the writers were given a very vague overview of each character and then just told to get on with it. So the quality of episodes varies, but also the characters themselves aren't very well defined, particularly in their relationships to each other. Rex and Harry are sometimes brothers-in-arms, sometimes rivals depending on what the plot needs that particular week. Is the boss, JF, having an affair with Carol the secretary, or simply sexually harassing her? Well, that depends which episode you're watching as well. And I'm glad to say that it's Eric Chappell's episodes that stand out as the best, with a highlight of the second series being one episode where a strong woman from head office comes in and she inspires the female regulars to stand up for themselves a bit more. Is someone learning to drive? Yes, I'm trying to get Rex to teach me, but he won't. (laughs) Well, then you must make him. It's not difficult, or they wouldn't be able to do it. They just pretend it is. They like to think it's an all-male preserve with their string-backed gloves and ratting caps. Ratting what? You mustn't let them get away with it. You're not a female eunuch, are you? I I don't think so. I've had two children. (laughs) 
it's still very 70s, but it works. And it feels like it's doing something a bit more interesting. And then in series three, there's an episode called Long Hot Summer that takes place during a heatwave. The episode actually went out on the 23rd of December. And that brings the best out of the characters without doing anything particularly revolutionary with the plot. But that just suggests that Chapel had a more solid idea of what he wanted from them. Unfortunately, most of the first series, which was written exclusively by Chapel, is now lost. So that's probably the best episode's gone. Now that episode I just mentioned, Long Hot Summer, also proves an exception to another rule in that it actually injects a bit of colour and light into its setting. Whereas normally the show suffers from a particularly drab-looking set, I think it's deliberate to evoke the drabness of office life, but it really is a boring show visually. Even as offices go, it's a sparse setup. It, it feels like a community theatre production where they've wheeled in a desk and a filing cabinet just to evoke the sense of an office rather than actually dress the set fully. Similarly, Rex's Home, which is pretty standard suburban fare, is just something very dismal about the whole thing. But the major issue with the show is that it just feels rushed. The cast seem under-rehearsed, and there's clearly no time for retakes, as there's many a stuttered or stumbled line that was obviously just allowed through. The camera work is generally pretty straightforward, but whenever they do try and do something a bit unusual, it jumps out and often looks odd or is just badly timed. It's all a bit slapdash, basically. And with that lack of care and delicate touch, a lot of the comedy is lost as the timing just isn't quite right. It's just something else that suggests maybe the director wasn't that strong, but Sean O'Rodden, the director, he has a CV full of fairly mediocre sitcoms, so you'd think he'd at least have the experience to be able to shepherd this one in, even if you're not going to do anything too special with it. And to go along with that, although this does appear to be filmed in front of a studio audience, as was customary at the time, there is a rather unconvincing laughter wash that seems to run over the top of what little genuine laughs may have been generated. Again, this just doesn't quite fit with the way the actors are performing, because they're presumably reacting to the actual audience, and it's just one more thing that throws off the timing here. Well, there's been this directive from the chairman about the busy period. Anyone the manager thinks isn't up to the pressure of work is going to be sent to Aberystwyth. Oh, don't you mean Coventry, Carol? No, Aberystwyth. They're opening a new branch there. That's typical. Sending all the lame ducks to Wales. It's national chauvinism, Bert. <laughs> yeah, no, just a minute, Carol. What about the vacancies? Well, apparently the company can't afford to hire new staff, so they're promoting junior management to senior level. Rex. Rex. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found it yet? <laughs> And in fact, it seems like the series as a whole was rushed through production. Maybe not the first series, but the 20 episodes that make up the second and the third were all broadcast within an eight-month period. Now, why exactly that was, I don't know, but presumably that busy schedule is why Horrible Ives is absent from the last series of Porridge. Overall, the show is just unremarkable. It's taken me a long time to put this review together, just because the material itself was so uninspiring. Getting through the episodes was a slog. It is difficult to watch, and that is not what you want from a sitcom. However, there is a postscript to this show, and that is that Eric Chappell recycled the material into a new show called Fiddlers 3. This sitcom managed one series of 14 episodes in 1991, and it did reuse many of Chappell's original scripts, reworked for a slightly more modern audience. As most of these early episodes of The Squirrels are lost, the blatant self-plagiarism is less apparent, but that is still certainly an unusual thing to happen in the world of sitcom, basically a straight-up remake. I can't think of any other obvious example where that's been done. 
Now, as far as I can tell, Fiddler's 3 isn't available in any official capacity, but good old YouTube gave me someone's home-taped VHS copy, complete with classic 90s adverts, so have a quick search if you want to find it. There's only a handful of episodes up, but I think that was enough to give me a good flavour of the show, so I'll give you a bit of a comparison now. The major characters are all still in place, pretty much the same as we saw them previously, but with some tweaking involved. Peter Davison is a more relatable protagonist than Ken Jones ever could be, and is really a far more likeable presence. Paula Wilcox, who is a personal favourite of mine, still doesn't really manage to bring much to the wife character, so perhaps that whole thing is just underwritten. And in the office we have Peter Blake, who is now a stalwart of this channel, having turned up both in the British Sitcom History podcast episode on Dear John, and also a previous episode of Forgotten Sitcoms as the Welsh truck driver in Dog Food Dan and the Carmarthen Cowboy. And, interestingly, Blake made a brief appearance as a postman in the very last episode of The Squirrels some 14 years earlier. Now, Blake is great casting, and he does a good job at replacing my favourite Alan David in the original, but it's still missing something, a, a certain spark, despite his best efforts. The Office Junior character is slightly remodelled from the rather feckless Burke into the nice but dim Osborne, played by Tyler Butterworth. His is the most apparent change, but it still fits into that brief of being slightly useless, albeit in a more pleasant way. The real weak link of this show seems to be Charles Kay as the boss of The Office, whose characterization is playing at a much broader level of comedy than everyone else seems to be pitching at. The character itself has also been altered, making him a much more obvious and, dare I say, less realistic example of an incompetent who has risen up the ranks. My God, Ralph! What's he got on the back of his jacket? Green stripes of a park bench, JJ. And he's going down to meet the personnel officer, who is also a trained psychiatrist, looking like a demented zebra. <laughs> Norma. Yes, Mr. Morley? I'm going to go through the personnel files and prepare confidential reports. I don't wish to be disturbed. Right. There's really nothing to like about him, and it really just sets him up as much more of a direct antagonist, which just puts everything into a bit too much of a black and white focus. Whereas JF from The Squirrels, we could sympathise with him often. We, we sort of felt sorry for him a lot. That just doesn't happen here. And his relationship towards his secretary has been toned down somewhat, which is probably for the best. Unfortunately, having removed the secretary's function of general sex object, Chapel hasn't actually given her much else to do, so Cindy Marshall Day finds herself somewhat redundant. I don't want him finding out where I work. It's bad enough he knows where I live. He came round last night and headbutted my front door. And I didn't want him coming in here and taking a swing at someone. Of course not, you didn't want him coming in here and taking a swing at somebody, Ralph. And that really is a shame, because a strong young female presence could have really been the thing to shake this up. But they also haven't really removed her from that token presence as part of the male gaze. They've just realised they have to be a bit less creepy about it. So, Fiddler's 3, not really much of an improvement on the squirrels, but it does take the best elements and bring them out, and the production level is significantly higher, although it's still pretty average, so it was a lot easier to watch. But still, unremarkable, and clearly it was never going to be a show to go down in history. So that's all for now, a two for one there, and I can't say I desperately recommend either The Squirrels or Fiddler's 3, but I do recommend you go and watch our other videos where you can get more breakdowns of forgotten sitcoms, or check out the British Sitcom History Podcast, where you will get an in-depth look at some slightly more high-profile shows. Thank you very much for watching, and we will be back soon with more forgotten sitcoms, as soon as I've recovered from The Squirrels.